Welcome to Unleash. We're all being transformed every day. The big question is, by who to become what? In the last several episodes, we've been looking at the ways that we are shaped by judgment. And this is our final episode, or final installment in this series. And I want to open with a story. I want you to imagine yourself in a situation where you have been the victim of a crime. There's some terrible injustice has been done, and charges are filed, and a court data set, and when it finally comes time for the trial, just showing up to court and knowing you're going to be called to testify takes guts, right? It also takes a deep desire for justice. But what if after the judge hears all of the um, evidence and he, he rules against you, that he actually rules in favor of the person that you know is guilty? I don't know, maybe he's corrupt and he takes bribes. Um, who knows what biases might be behind this? But I want you to imagine in that moment, how would you feel? terrible, right? Because when we've been wronged, our desire for justice is powerful. It it is intense and it comes from deep visceral places. But did you know, uh, this is a really practical, uh, a real thing. Um, In lawsuits, many times lawyers will counsel their clients to accept a settlement offer. Um, you, You might be wondering why. Um, even though they have a valid claim, there is so much risk in leaving the outcome of the decision to either a judge or a jury. So they give this counsel to their clients because they know from personal experience and from history that it's just unsafe. Uh, Going to trial is, they would say, is literally like playing Russian roulette. It, it doesn't matter what's actually true or what the facts of the case are, because whether it's a judge or a jury, you're relying on their perceptions and what biases they have that might drive how they perceive and process and look at the evidence presented. So the attorney doesn't say, hey, go for this settlement just because it's quicker and easier. He'll tell you to take the settlement because it's a guaranteed outcome, whereas the courtroom trial isn't. It seems like it's a safe route as a victim to seek justice. It seems reasonable and right and fair. And yet, in reality, in this world, we often hope for justice in vain. But an interesting facet of humans is how when we're the victim, justice is everything, like it's the ultimate. But when we are the one who has wronged someone, when we're the guilty one, have you ever noticed how quick we are to hope for mercy? With people, there's basically two types of righteousness. The first one is a self-righteousness. It's something we assign to ourselves. And we think we can either do or not do stuff that will determine that we actually are righteous. 
But when you encounter someone who is self-righteous, what do you think of them? I mean, honestly, it's a thing that we struggle with. When we encounter someone seeking to present themselves as better than they really are, I mean, we call them hypocrites, and in reality, often we really despise people who act in that self-righteous way, or at least we despise how they act. And plus, think of this, when any of us walk in self-righteousness, it always ends in us judging others. It causes, we get so full of ourselves that we grow harsh and intolerant and unloving. Um, And when someone walks in self-righteous, any of us, we really don't know the whole story and we can't accurately judge how we are in that situation with other people. But I mentioned two types of righteousness, uh, one that we assign to ourselves. The other is the kind of righteousness that we receive. It's, and it comes when someone admits their guilt and they receive righteousness as a gift by grace. So we started this um, episode with a courtroom scene. So now I want to invite you to imagine a, a different scene unfolding in the courtroom. Imagine this scenario. The judge is up on the bench. He is seated and looking dignified. He has his gavel there. He's wearing his robes and he hears all of the testimony. And at the end, he justly convicts the guilty. And in doing so, this judge does two things. First, he shows himself to be just. And then the other thing he does is he, he satisfies the wounded party's desire for justice. But then in this courtroom scene, after he declares this person guilty and determines their sentence, then the unthinkable unfolds, where the judge arises, takes off his robes, walks down from, the, from his perch on the bench, And then he surrenders himself to the bailiff to take the penalty that he just gave to the guilty. Do you know that judge is real? This actually happened. His name is Jesus. Scripture tells us that he created all things, that he sustains all things, and that he died to restore all things. And one day he's going to come back and judge everything. And not one of us is truly righteous. Not one of us. The reality is we don't even live up to the standards that we hold other people to. I mean, never mind living up to God's standard of perfection. But the first time Jesus came, he said exactly why he came. First, it was to teach us what the kingdom of God was like. And then it was to take the penalty that each of us owe in order to make a way for us to be forgiven, even though we know in our hearts we're guilty. Have you ever been at a sporting event and, or you've seen it on, maybe on um, TV and a spectator is holding up a sign that simply says, John 3.16. Maybe you're familiar with what it says, but just in case... 
I'll read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But did you know that the eyewitnesses who heard Jesus also testified what he said in the next breath? It's captured in the Gospel of John um, in the next two verses, in 17 and 18. Listen to this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then it goes on to say that whoever believes in him is not condemned, right? So the guilty are not condemned if they trust in one who can give them righteousness. You see, Jesus told his disciples beforehand, not just how he would die, but also why. He came specifically in love and mercy and emptied himself, dying a cruel, torturous death. Though he was innocent, he died for the guilty. That's us. But why? He said clearly so that we could be saved through him by believing in him. And one of the things I need to believe is that I'm guilty. I know that in my heart of hearts. And he died in my place so that I can be forgiven. And you know in your heart of hearts that you're guilty but you too can be forgiven. In the last several episodes, we looked at the ugly and how we judge one another and the great harm we do because we just don't know how to judge accurately, rightly, justly. And then in the the bad, we looked at how we judge ourselves, whether too high so that it makes us prideful and arrogant and obnoxious, or too low, such that our mind and emotions are all wrapped up in the ways that we aren't enough. But this good, this this is so amazingly good, which is that God truly knows all and that he's just so that we can trust him to ultimately judge rightly and to one day address every wrong. And while he is that judge who is just and declares the guilt of the guilty, Jesus willingly took the punishment of the guilty so that through him we can receive true righteousness that comes from faith. So when we think on the good, the bad, and the ugly of judgment, this is the ultimate good news. Because the God who made everything, every extraordinary thing in the galaxies, comes to us in compassion and grace through Jesus Christ. I hope this series on judgment has been helpful and thought-provoking and encouraging. And I want to challenge you, if you, someone you care about, might be encouraged by this series, will you be brave and send them the link and show them you care. Well, that's a lot to think about. So, until next time.